Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast about Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Bruffett. How are we doing today, Chris? Oh, man. Jesse, I did a bad thing, man. I did a really bad thing. Okay. My two paint pile has gone from unmanageable to crisis mode. Like, it was already too bad, and now I have acquired someone's full MCP, a local local player who's who's moving out of MCP. Uh, acquired their entire collection for some magic cards. And oh my gosh, I have so many models to paint. I'm terrified. Good problems, I suppose. It's you know? an awesome problem, dude. I have filled in some spots that I was missing from some earlier releases, just some some characters I hadn't had the time to, to get into. So I just kind of saved the money, but now I've got them. And I've got plenty to build uh, squads for any, you know, want to think about trying to get into the game or want to return to the game. Or maybe just they have played, don't have their their models anymore, but they want to come to a game night. I can now facilitate all this as soon as I get, mm. you know, some squads painted and ready, yeah. a couple a couple of uh, bags ready to go. But I'm pretty excited about it all in all, man. You know, you and I have, we're talking and trying to get some plans going to maybe reinvigorate the local scene a little bit as last couple of years have felt a little stale with everything going on in the world and people have less hobby time and more competition in the space. So uh, all in all, these are really good problems. I'm very excited. And now I have blades so I can start thinking about how I'm going to paint him. All right. Yeah. Blades a fun one to paint. Yes, sir. I'm very excited for that one. I almost think I'm not good enough to paint him yet. It's a lot of black. Same reason I haven't primed Hulkbuster, right? I'm just not, I don't think I'm ready to do that model justice yet. I feel the exact same way in Hulkbuster. He's one oh of my, my gosh. What know, a model. 
I've got a huge part of my collection painted, but he's one of the yes. few that's not. And he just keeps getting pushed back for yeah. a myriad of reasons. Yeah. I mean, let's start with the fact that he's like the biggest model in the game with a second model with him. So he's two I models know. to paint. Uh, let's just start there. And then let's not even <laughs> talk about all the non-metallic metal and all this stuff that you could really go routes with it. So you can go nuts and yeah, they just did such a good job sculpting that model. Uh, it's much like the Sam Wilson model. I think the Sam Wilson model, even the farther and farther we are removed from it being released, I think it is an incredible model. It's pretty phenomenal, right? So I got my Sam painted. It looks pretty good, but Hulkbuster, I don't know if I'm ready for all that non-metallic metal yet. You got time to get there for sure. I'm working on it. I'm definitely working on it. And I've got plenty to practice with. And you've got so many models like near completion, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, we, we as gamers, I think we get distracted, especially on the hobby side of things and terrain's very similar too. And there's just gotta be a point where you're like, you're 70% done and you're like, you know, I can't start a new model. I just got to finish this one fully and then set it aside, take it out of the queue entirely rather than like start progress on a couple more, you know, cause now then you like have a different problem, right? You got several in progress, but none done. <laughs> so that's, that's always kind of been my uh, modus operandi with painting these bags. I'm always so far behind on my painting that it's, I'm, I'm trying to paint this new squad, this new affiliation for me to try. So I will get most of the squad, like you said, 75% done and then just finish them all off in one fell swoop, get all their bases done one day, you know, do the, do the little rings at the bottom as my last, that's the last thing after the ring gets painted, they get sealed and it's done. So uh, it's I am LVO legal. Then it's LVO legal. You and have the yes, base and ring painted, my, right? That's my a force will be completed by next game night. I do believe. So then I will begin working on my, the next affiliation I plan on playing. It'll probably be a month or two before I get them ready to be fielded though. For sure. No, definitely. That's very exciting. And we'll cover more of that very soon on the bonus feed because uh yeah we've been building a lot of rosters on there new things coming up for us and i'm excited to try some new things too in the coming months um this has been a really good year for me of like trying new things like i've just i've really had an awesome time with brotherhood and hellfire in particular this year i mean just two teams that i've mainlined and played so much at at a tournament level and a local level and got everything painted for them and had a blast and playing them a little bit more but then it's going to be back to something from the earlier days for me like web warriors or something or asgard right we've talked about asgard has been calling my name the defenders have been calling my name oh yeah of course everyone's interested in foes and web warriors with the new releases on the on the horizon so yeah i plenty of affiliations for me to think about moving into but i'm not going to say which one i'm moving into not yet but it's coming. Good. I think I think I've decided though. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of Asgard, we've got more Asgard content today, which is very exciting. I've really grown to just adore this universe within Marvel, which is, you know, something I didn't know much about when I was younger. So through Fury's Finest and through the MCU, I've really just grown to become like an Asgard fanatic in a lot of ways. I mean, and it's all nothing, there. Nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. And all the writings on the wall, I mean, you know grade school, high school and college, you know, I was a huge mythology aficionado, you know, I mean, just oh, like yeah. everything I get my hands on, right. All the way to the fiction around it, like stuff like, you know, the masterpiece that is like American gods by Neil Gaiman and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to like get another medium of this. We've talked about it several times as Asgard series, but it just still fascinates me to get another medium of mythology that's different 
fiction, right? And just it's scratching a different itch, but meanwhile, getting that original itch, you know, it's like taking me back to my Greek mythology obsession and, you know, Norse stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It's just cool. So in a similar vein, I, I was pretty interested in all that stuff as well, but there was something about the Marvel and DC using kind of open IP and, and this mythology that in my younger years rubbed me the wrong way. I wanted original characters only. Well, you know, I was very, everything was black and white when I was younger at all. Everything made sense and fit into its little compartment. And I knew exactly what I wanted immediately, even though I was wrong 90% of the time. Right. (laughs) But now, man, I don't know. I think Thor is one of my favorite characters to pick up and read in Marvel. I don't know that he's one of my favorite characters to, to think about or kind of, you know, write my own little storylines in my head or, or just think about the directions they can go. But he is one of my favorite characters to just sit down and read, especially when you have writers as good as Jason Aaron writing him. hundred percent. And, and you know, all the writers that have been on Thor recently have been pretty good for the most part. So it's just been a joy. It's been interesting. They've really fleshed out the Marvel side of things with this, the Asgard stuff. You know, it's, it's, very, very Marvel now instead of mm. mythology being told in Marvel. They they have, I think, put their own stamp on these characters a lot. It only took, what, 60 years to do it, but they did it. And I'm proud of them. And it's fun to read for the most part. So, Well, and also, like, they have made it very Marvel. But at the same time, they've also fleshed out the Asgard Norse stuff, too. A lot of these original stories in the 60s and 70s was like Thor coming to Earth to do a thing, to fight a guy, oh, yeah. right? And now we're getting stuff like the Jason Aaron run, which is... A hundred percent contained within the Asgard centric realms and spheres and you know gods and all this stuff, right? And you know, Captain America or whoever doesn't make an appearance, right? Spoiler that right. type of stuff. All facets are really covered. And like I said in recent episodes, I've been really enjoying I really enjoyed rereading that Jason Aaron run, which got oh. me ready for the King in Black, you know, mm-hmm. which I've been finally rereading and doing it right this time, like reading everything in order, including all the tie-ins. It changes everything, doesn't it? It, it really, really it really expands upon everything. You can get the gist of what's going on by reading just like the main title. Like King and Black and, and yes. Venom both. Yes. Basically. And you can you can understand what's happening. You can enjoy it. But in with a good comic event, the problem is they have to be good. The tie-ins really add to the whole thing. When it's bad and the writers clearly are just kind of fulfilling their obligations mm, and and yeah. not feeling the story. Maybe it was dictated by, by the suits. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it's just something that hasn't gone the way they thought it would. It, it, you can really come and go. Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is mileage mm. may vary on a lot of these big crossover events, but King and black was definitely a very fun one. Yeah. It's fun to have something that fun with a little bit of depth too, you know, but in, at the end of the day, it's mainly just fun. And, it's yeah. Uh, it's mainly just popcorn, but there's stuff that's not popcorn, like s- spread throughout it, which is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. And a lot of it's from the tie-ins and a lot of it's from the Venom comic in particular, which is more the main arc alongside the King of Black. But I mean, one of the tie-ins I recently read in recent weeks that was just mind-blowing you know and you know shout out to dr d because he mentioned the same thing that black cat run that's she plays a huge part of the story yeah and you learn more about her as a person and and her 
her motivations and all these things. And there's so many elements. And then on top of that, same with the Daredevil, where I adored the Daredevil mini part of this because, man, that like who Matt Murdock is versus Null, that those two people are completely what a dichotomy. Different. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and like that element plus the like element of like I'm your true god and all this stuff. Oh there's my gosh. so many elements that are like so powerful in that, and you know how Matt Murdock just what he does in the story around that and how he responds to Null is just fascinating. As a side point, just a Daredevil, not even so much the King of Black story as a whole. Look what we can learn about Daredevil. It's a little bit different from a whole new arc and event, right? So all that stuff's really exciting. And Asgard looks like there's a lot of stuff playing on the future because, you know, Thor comes in the King of Black, but also the stuff after that, they've been doing a lot of interesting stuff, kind of like you've been alluding to, Chris, with all this. That started all the way back with Jason Aaron, you know. Yes. And I think that's one of the boons to the Asgardian mythos in Marvel right now is that they have been long form storytelling with them for a very long time, whether it was Mm. intentional or not, they have tied everything in Jason Aaron's very long run. I mean, he wrote on Thor from what God of thunder, the miniseries was his kind of intro all the way up to war of the realms. I mean, that was his, that was his event. And that is one I need to catch fully up on especially given who we're talking about today, but yeah, I think he did seven or eight years, like back to back, right? A long time. Yeah. And yeah, to me, it never got stale to me. It was always fun and interesting and changing. Of course, he took us through the Jane Foster Thor yeah. era, which I really enjoyed and I hope takes off. Cause I have so many copies of her first appearance as Thor make me rich. <laughs> But anyway, it's all good stuff, guys. I, I highly recommend checking this stuff out. And to kind of drive that point home, today we're talking about Heimdall, who has a very big part to play. Not a not a long one, but a very big part to play in uh, War of the Realms. So I will try to get you guys primed to go read that through the upcoming character episodes. And mm. hopefully you can all go read and enjoy as much as we did. Absolutely. And get more of this Asgard content and join us on this wonderful journey. But before we do that, we got some people to thank. Furious Finest is supported by Mr. Laser. Go to mr-laser.square.site for all of your Marvel Crisis Protocol needs. And please remember while you are there, do us a huge favor. Please use the discount code FURY5. Get yourself 5% off at Mr. Laser's already wonderfully discounted prices. You just can't really ask for more, guys. Absolutely not. Furious Finest is also supported by iWarGame. They make the best mark mats for MCP in the business, and we recommend checking them out at iWarGame.net. Use our code FFPODCAST to get 10% off these wonderful mats. Of course, our patrons support Furious Finest at patreon.com slash Furious Finest. If you enjoy our show and would like to support us and join our private Discord community, check out the Patreon tiers. We thank our patrons right now for all of their support. And we have a new patron of the week. It is Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much, Ryan. And of course, the show doesn't go without its Avenger-level producers. These folks are the folks that keep the lights on, keep us going every week. So we have to, of course, thank them in a big way. This week, I got to send out that big thank you to our guys, Rich and Sean. Thank you guys so much. All right, Chris, let's get into Heimdall lore. Okay, Jesse. Now, this is not our first time to have to deal with something like this. But this is another one of those characters that's been around for a long time. Let's be honest, guys. Heimdall's mostly been sitting and guarding the Bifrost. 
That's what he does. It's his duty. He is a very honorable, duty-bound individual. That is kind of the whole MO of his character. Duty above himself. And yeah, I mean, there's not going to be just an absolute ton. This is not going to be a super long lore section, but I'm going to try to get you guys up to speed on who Heimdall is and why he is cool and important. Heimdall is the brother of Sif. Okay, so already entrenched in Asgardian, you know, society, culture, all these things. He is the all-seeing, all-hearing guardian sentry of Asgard, stands firm, as I mentioned, at the, the Bifro- Bifrost Bridge, guarding it. His powers of sight, he, this, this man can see, hear, and smell through time, okay? This is for real. And also some pretty interesting stories could be written with that, right? But yes, that's that's what Heimdall is known for as Asgard's staunch, all-seeing defender. He has been bested very, very, very few times when it comes to guarding Asgard. I touched on him, but let's talk about these superpowers. He is, of course, an Asgardian. So, superhuman strength, stamina, speed, agility, durability, two power during the power phase, all cool stuff. He is at the higher end of Asgardian combat, as far as these Guardian Warriors goes. He is one of their better. I don't think he's one of the most elite, but I think he is probably top 15%, something like that, in that area of Asgardian combatants. He is stronger than your average Asgardian. He is a better fighter than just your average Asgardian. Of course, he's not going to be as strong as Scourge, as we touched on last week. Scourge is part Storm Giant, and Heimdall just can't, can't do that. And just to put a pretty bow on it, I've mentioned it, but yes, this man can see, hear, smell through time, through distance. This is actually how he wins the job of guarding the Bifrost, is during the trial period, he sees a storm giant attack three days in advance. He sees them marching towards Asgard with ill intention, warns Asgard, and the Asgardian warriors get to go and defeat these storm giants before they even get to the gates. You know, saving a lot of destruction, saving a lot of time. Of course, I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. Let's talk about his first appearance in comics, and then I will continue on his character history. So as I said, Heimdall has been around for a while. His first appearance is Journey into Mystery number 85 in October of 1962. It's created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Larry Lieber. Leapin' Larry Lieber. He's been around for a long time, but he's never been really a main character. We have talked about how he became the Guardian of the Bifrost. So let's start getting into some of the some of the stories and things he's played a major role in. So one of the first things that happens after he is, or very early on uh, in his Marvel comic run, Heimdall is going to be bested by a wind sprite. And what this means is uh, a wind sprite is going to make it past Heimdall and his all-seeing eyes. Of course, a wind sprite, very fast, very difficult to detect, very small. You know, all of these things that are working against Heimdall. But something in Heimdall, he knew something had gotten past him, right? He just didn't know what exactly. And the reason I think this story is important to mention here 
is because is is how Heimdall reacts. Instead of trying to figure it out himself or wasting time or maybe even ignoring it, he immediately goes to Odin and says, Hey, something's wrong. I think I think something got past me. I I, I know something's wrong. So he risks the wrath of Odin. He risks this Odin ridicule for his own honor. He puts his duty before himself and his own ego here and goes, fesses up to this immediately and, you know, is rewarded by Odin calling out his courage. And of course they find the wind sprite and everything turns out to be okay. So then we're going to get into what Heimdall does most of the time in one of his many times to be banished from Asgard. Thor will try to come back to Asgard. Heimdall is always there to fight Thor. <laughs> you know, they're friends. Uh, they work together, but this is this is Heimdall's duty, right? This is what he does. Even if it is working directly against one of his friends, he has to guard the Bifrost. He has to guard Asgard. So when a banished Thor is trying to get back into Asgard, even if Heimdall believes him to be innocent, or even if Heimdall believes that Thor has nothing but good intentions in his heart, he is going to do his duty and and try to keep Thor out of Asgard. Of course, it's not always going to work. Thor is the god of thunder, right? He can take Heimdall. And to illustrate this, Heimdall is going to continually just keep battling Thor, not only to keep him inside Asgard, but to keep him out as well, as I mentioned. There will be times when Odin says, no, Thor, you cannot leave to go to Midgard to see Jane Foster. And Heimdall will wrestle him to keep him in Asgard. Uh, and of course, the other things will happen where Thor is banished, uh, as I mentioned. One of, the one of the more interesting things he's going to do early on is he's going to travel to Earth with Kamor, the dwarf, and he's going to seek out human candidates for godhood. And this is going to be this is going to culminate in a, a kind of team or group of people called the Young Gods. Uh, Heimdall will have a direct hand in choosing three of these, these young humans that illustrate kind of peak of human achievement, both physically, artistically, and culturally, uh, I guess mentally. But yeah, this is going to, this is going to help lead to uh, a team known as the Young Gods, which, you know, didn't never really did too too much. They haven't had the lasting appeal, but this is something he has done. Uh, he'll also accompany the as guardians into the dark nebula to fight. That's the thing. He's he's gonna fight. He's going. He's not scared to fight. He's always guarding. I mean, this this man is just self discipline personified. Vigilant. Absolutely, man. Stay vigilant. I'm sure he's got that tattooed on him somewhere. So. He's going to be involved in more defenses and more battles, but the next thing I want to touch on is when the Bif the Bifrost is shattered uh, during one of the Fire Demon Sortor's invasions. Of course, Heimdall's going to defend it. He will fail, but now he's kind of free. Now he's now he can kind of he's not stuck guarding the Bifrost constantly, and moreover, he's guarding the the Scepter of Odin. I want to stress how trustworthy this man is. He guards the scepter of Odin while Odin is away. He's even given at one point some of the Odin force to rule over 
Asgard uh, when Odin is in a deep while Odin is in a deep slumber. I mean, this man, he's vigilant. He's trustworthy. I don't think there's anybody better. Who do you want on your team? Heimdall. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely. So let's talk about this interesting little this little period of him not having to guard the Bifrost. And this is going to tie into last week's episode a little bit. So our man Scourge, of course, has died a couple of times. And the first time he died uh, is will coincide. Uh, it happened during this, this fire demons invasion, right? So now Amora, the enchantress, d- no longer has her kind of boy toy, her, her thrall. And Heimdall no longer has to be chained to the Bifrost, theoretically chained to the Bifrost. Heimdall and Amora are going to become pretty close. They're going to kind of fall in love. You know, they're going to go on some adventures and whatnot, but mostly they're going to be love interests. During this time, Heimdall is going to fight the Egyptian god of death, Seth. Um, He's going to fight Sif, his own sister. Uh, He's going to confront Sortor. He's going to lead the legions of Asgard into battle against Ymir. He did a lot. He accomplishes a lot when not guarding the Bifrost, just to show how competent this guy is. But Odin's going to return, and this is going to spell an end to the relationship with Enchantress, because this man has a duty. He has a duty to Asgard and a duty to Odin, and that duty comes before any Asgardian pleasures, any romantic relationship, comes before himself. So he will end, well, actually, Amora will end the relationship after she realizes that she will never be more important to him than his duty to Asgard, his duty to Odin. And Heimdall will resume his duties. Now, shortly after this, this is when Odin is going to pass the Odin force to Heimdall to rule Asgard while Odin is in the Odin sleep. And this just side point. Naming conventions with Asgard are so great. I'm so envious. I wish <laughs> I wish I could call like me going to bed the Chris sleep. No one will go with it though. I've done sleep studies. The doctors won't <laughs> the doctors won't go with me. It's kind of like this wild Steve thing. It's just not catching on. Hmm. Call him Wild Steve, people. Just for me, please. I don't really care. So while Odin ha while Heimdall has the Odin Force, this is going to be Loki trying to take over the body of Odin so he can rule, of course. It's all going to be foiled by by Thor and a guy named Eric Masterson, and a little bit by Heimdall. Thor is going to help from the soul shroud because Eric Masterson is kind of playing the role of Thor at this point. It's, it's a convoluted thing, but not a bad story. It's worth reading. But during this time, I think it's interesting. This will be one of the few times Heimdall is branded as a a traitor and banished. And the reason that is, is because Loki kind of inhabiting the body of Odin understands that Heimdall is going to be able to see through this ruse. He's going to be able to see that, that, that Loki's soul is inhabiting the body and making it go. So that is why Loki has to quickly get rid of Heimdall, get him out of there. So we're going to go through some weirdness in Asgard. Odin is going to force all the Asgardians into human guises and they're going to figure that out and return to Asgard. So then we're going to have Ragnarok caused by Loki, of course. And again, all of the Asgardians are going to kind of be reborn into human bodies. And this will be when Thor restores all of the Asgardians 
And since Asgard is destroyed by Ragnarok, they're going to reform Asgard. They're going to kind of rebuild and it's going to happen over Broxton, Oklahoma, which is not a real town. Oklahoma is a real state, turns out. And the reason this is kind of important is once again, I feel like this illustrates Heimdall's importance to Asgard because Heimdall is going to be the first Asgardian Thor seeks out to restore Asgard. Reason being, much like Loki having to get rid of Heimdall immediately, is that Heimdall is going to be able to find these other Asgardians in their, you know, kind of mortal forms. And then Thor will be able to transform them back into Asgardians, uh, timeless Asgardians. But this just continues to illustrate how important, whether he's got a ton of comics where he's in them, whether he has a ton of lines or is super involved in the climaxes of any of these comics, Heimdall is very important in the lore. Like his place in universe is much higher than his place in pop culture. Uh, I, I think he's an extremely important character for the Asgardians. And I think illustrative of what Asgardians kind of strive to be. He's kind of the perfect Asgardian in a lot of ways, not every way. After some more, after some more shenanigans, and this is going to be post uh, a few storylines post siege, which is pretty fun. Heimdall is going to be blinded by the Mangog when it attacks Asgard. And I think this is very interesting because this is, this is during war of the realms. This is kind of the last thing I'm going to touch on because there is, there's a pretty big thing with his character. His, his death is coming up after shortly after war of the realms. And I think it's very, very much worth reading, but we're going to get a new character tied into Asgardian lore here with this war of the realms and through Heimdall. While Heimdall is blinded, Daredevil, none other than Daredevil himself, is going to take over kind of guarding the Bifrost. And it is through Daredevil being around and kind of training and talking with Heimdall that Heimdall, though blinded, is going to kind of figure out how Daredevil's, you know, echolocation type stuff works. And he's going to become a much more competent fighter, a much more confident as well fighter through his blindness and he's going to kind of return to form, but eventually his eyesight's going to be restored because it's comics. And we get back to, we always get back to baseline with comic books and that's okay. That is the median. I'm going to kind of end things here as far as his lore goes. But the one thing I do want to want to mention, I think it is very worth reading his death arc. He's going to be helping Jane Foster during her Valkyrie era. And she will be, this is going to tie into the Valkyrie in MCP. Uh, as we all know, Valkyrie's spender is Dragonfang. And Dragonfang is the name of her very special sword. And this is the sword that Heimdall is going to assist Jane Foster, the new Valkyrie, to go find. And, and through this, it, it's going to result in Heimdall's death. I'm sure he will come back at some point uh, if they're not already making overtures for that already. I think it's worth reading. Definitely, it's worth reading post uh, War of the Realms, which I know you're all going to read when we can cons- when we finish our Asgardian series here on Fury's Finest. But Jesse, I think there's something else we have to talk about with this guy, and I think it's Idris Elba. Idris Elba playing Heimdall is really 
similar to a lot of these characters we talk about with, with the MCU. I mean, it's given the character a lot of life and a lot of notoriety and a lot of spotlight that he didn't have before the MCU, right? And I love it because I, I think too. Heimdall Heimdall is very much worth, especially doing the research for this episode. I think that Heimdall is a character that is very much worth being explored. And I think there's a lot of storytelling opportunities you can do with his juxtaposing his duty with maybe some personal desire. Maybe, maybe we don't see enough of that out of him. And maybe this really illustrating the sacrifices he makes on yeah. behalf of Asgard, I think is something that could be done. But uh, Idris Elba, I mean, honestly, if you have an opportunity as a movie maker to use Idris Elba, I think you're under a moral obligation to do it. Let's do, let's get him. Yeah. Maybe even a federal obligation. I'm sure there's some secret law that we don't know about. He's phenomenal. Yeah, I'm still in the camp. I know he's a little bit older, but no, I'm still in the camp that now that Daniel Craig's done, let's let's let it just oh, be Bond. That is know? that. I mean, come on. Yes, it just, absolutely. It, it it's ridiculous. Works. It is ridiculous that they have not done it. But you know, for some reason, for some reason, little things uh, really, really bug some folks, yep. and uh, it really drives this podcaster insane. There it is. Yeah. And I think he'd be a phenomenal bond. And oh my gosh, he'd be, he'd be better than Daniel Craig. And Craig was amazing. And Craig was amazing. Yeah. Craig brought something entirely new to the character, which was unheard of in a long time. I think Skyfall still might be my favorite bond movie. And yes, do not listener, do not come after me on that one. The reason I think that is because you see bond in a light that you never see him in any other bond movie. And that's on the back foot and how he recovers from that. That is why I love that movie. So don't, don't come at me. No, it's very like Empire Strikes Back, right? Yes. You got to see these characters in a different mode. But yeah, Idris, phenomenal as Heimdall. He was Heimdall six times in the MCU. Thor, Thor the Dark World, Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, and then Love and Thunder, which is just amazing. I mean, he's been at this since 2011. He brought a lot of gravitas to the character, but he also brought a lot of heart underneath that like steel exterior you know and and you see it more as the movies go on i really like how they evolved heimdall in the first film he's more like the bifrost protector he's kind of onto loki's games he's very serious but more as the films go on you know he becomes a different heimdall and you know not massive spoilers here but i mean by the time of thor ragnarok you know he's leading the resistance him and the other asgardians that are onto loki's game or are somewhere else he's no longer in the armor he's just He's literally wearing like just cloak, a cloak, and he's got his sword and it's just awesome. And I love that he's always there with all the Bifrost stuff, which is very important, of course. And yeah, yeah, they just nailed it. He is the all seeing in this universe and Idris phenomenal casting. I'd love to see more of him potentially in the MCU and time will tell if we get more Asgard centric stuff, he might make an appearance. Maybe. I certainly kind of hope so, but that's also kind of predicated on them getting the MCU back on track. That's a lot of ifs. I know. I know. So yeah, Heimdall, he is steadfast. He is stalwart. He is the true knight, right? In a lot of ways, it seems like. I mean, he's like that. I think I think he's what we think of when we think of idealized. Of course. Like Arthurian knights, right? Arthurian. Duty, duty bound. Uh, they take it very seriously, very, very self-disciplined. But we all know that in reality... That is not how that was not always the case. Ma- no. That is not how many knights actually uh, acted. But yeah, it's definitely how Heimdall chooses to live, and he, you know, he's 
he's very lawful in all of his decisions and actions and it's all based around this duty and his role and he realizes his role is so massive in the galaxy and i'm still just fascinated chris that how he can harness the bifrost and the all-seeing part the fact that he can see and smell like you said like i mean what a superpower right isn't that just so cool and that's another thing that you could really really if they gave a writer you know kind of carte blanche to do this i know it's kind of weird and probably wouldn't sell too well but as far as storytelling i think it's extremely interesting to think about the things he could be seeing and smelling and hearing through time kind of unbidden you know if there's there's a lot of things you can do yeah oh yeah absolutely all right chris we'll close out our lore like you always do and give us that comic book recommendation so there's not really really a ton here uh like i said he has mostly been a guard a named guard in the background Sure. You know, I mained a named side character for a very long time. But I have mentioned several times through this that I think that reading his death is worth it. And so I'm going to go ahead and recommend Valkyrie Jane Foster. Uh, ran through 2019 through 2020. Uh, maybe not the whole thing, but I, I know he's there at the beginning. So I think it's maybe issues one through four or five. Uh, I'm not entirely positive, but there's only like 12 or so issues of the whole thing anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and story. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go ahead and recommend that one. Uh, And uh, as well as my overall recommendation for this whole Asgardian thing is war of the realms and really just the whole Jason Aaron Thor run. If you've got the time and desire to do that, you know, multiple levels here for different, different levels of uh, dedication and time, I guess. I love it. And that Valkyrie run also ties directly in with the King in Black. So absolutely. It is a callback, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of a prologue, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. And then the Valkyrie's roles. Yes. During that whole event. Right. So yeah, very cool stuff. All right, Chris, let's jump into Heimdall in Marvel Christ Protocol. His name is Heimdall the All-Seeing and his alter ego is Heimdall. His stats are very, very straightforward. He is a three threat character. His defenses are three physical, three energy, and three mystic, three across the board. He has a stamina of six. He's a size two. He's a medium mover. And on his injured side, he has a stamina of five. This is run-of-the-mill three-threat stuff. Yeah. Nothing really much to say about that other than that. And that's okay because he has no weaknesses and he has no strengths when it comes to his stats, right? He's just consistent. And, you know, we're going to talk more about his card and what that looks like. Starting with his first attack is a physical attack called strike. It's a range two. Strength of five, zero power cost strike. After the attack is resolved, Heimdall gains power equal to damage dealt. Very basic. It's kind of hard not having some kind of trigger on here. I wish he did. It's a bummer. It feels like, uh, yeah, feels just a little undertuned in some ways, but he is a three threat. Maybe we're just used to seeing triggers everywhere these days, and maybe the rest of the card makes up for it. I guess we'll find out. It's just really hard when it's like models like Baron Zemo exists in the game in the original mm-hmm. core set and they've got triggers, they've got charge, they've got all this stuff. So, but you know, Heimdall is a true support piece. And we got to see him through that lens. And I, I totally yeah. see how that could work. Well, his next attack does have a little something there, but there is a pretty big caveat to it. It is a physical attack. It is whore fund range two, strength, seven power cost of three. If this attack do- deals damage after the attack is resolved, Heimdall may push the target character away medium. That is a pretty hefty push. Medium push is extremely unusual. 
It's usually reserved for throws. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you have to get damage through, like you said, Chris. That's so the problem. It's a it's a gamble. Not that it's a gamble necessarily with seven dice, but maybe it is with your opponent's defense, right? They might have, be a web warrior player or something. So I like this, what it does. I don't like that you have to deal damage. And uh, it's, three is a hefty cost. Three is a lot, especially given what you can use three power for with the rest of his card. Turns out he wants to pay for all of his superpowers. So let's talk huh. about those superpowers. He has an active superpower called Guardian of the Bifrost. Costs three power. Choose Heimdall or another allied character within four of Heimdall and place it within range two of its current position. A character can be placed by the superpower only once per turn. So this is super cool, Chris. It's like a parallel to Lockjaw. It's further range to grab the person, but it's a shorter teleport. And Lockjaw's has to be closer, and he gives them a longer teleport. So it's just different flavors, you know? Yeah. And I like the range four, though, because it really gives him quite a massive range on the battlefield to get people back on points or, or you know, even get himself up into the fight to fight, potentially, if he needs to. It's very useful. And of course, I'm seeing it through the lens of A-Force right now as I look at every card through the lens of what affiliation I'm playing at the time. And being able to move She-Hulk range two regularly is something I have a character in my bag to do, but this range four would be very nice. It's pretty phenomenal. She-Hulk and also just sets sitting up- back, sitting back and scoring while making yeah. sure your big pieces can move a little bit more freely is pretty nasty. It also sets up She-Hulk's like, you know, one of the best parts of her card is that she has aggressive, right? And it yeah. just like forces aggressive possibly and things like that. So yeah, it, it's a great superpower. I think it's one of those things you want to do with them every turn. If you can get pieces in position, because at the end of the day, Heimdall's so limited on his attacks, but that's supposed to be evened out because you're moving your other pieces with higher value attacks further into the fight, right? That's right. So now it's time to talk about his next superpower. I really like this one, though I'm not sure how actually effective it is. Jesse, maybe you can help me with that one. It is a reactive superpower. It is all seeing eyes, will cost you two power. When an allied character within three, within range three, is attacking, defending, or dodging, during the modified dice step, Heimdall may use this superpower. The allied character may reroll up to two of its own dice. Alternatively, when an allied character within range three rolls dice for a crisis card or team tactic card, this character may use this superpower. The allied character may reroll up to two of its own dice. Now, I love the little caveat of being able to reroll dice on objectives and crisis cards. Huge. Yeah. I think that is awesome. It is not something we see often in the rules on these cards. Uh, So this kind of, in a way, feels like what the inverse of Crimson Dynamos field? A little bit, yeah. No, this is just anything, Chris. Just literally anything. Anything. It's attacks, defense, yes. Dodge, it, it is it is more useful. Cards. It has more uses than than dynamos, though. No, dynamos. It's, better, it's just better Shuri, is what it is. Mm, okay, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So because Shuri doesn't give you all the options, she gives you most of the options. And this is amazing because You've got to factor in tactics cards that require Yahtzee rolls that these make those so much better Yeah, and pay to flips. This can help you win pay to flips. That is very cool. I think this is a huge tool on pay to flips, especially late rounds. And Asgard already likes pay to flips. So this, that's just in a, a, cool... in a tight game. Yeah. It's pretty just helping you play into that game plan. 
it's just helping you be good at something that team is already naturally good at. So a hundred percent. And you could do it later in a round too, right? Because this is of course a reactive and of course it's a support ability. So it's like, I could be going last in a round with Thor yeah, and Heimdall's got a little bit of power on him. And I really have the world as my oyster with Thor where I'm like, okay, do I want to get a reroll to get that for Asgard stagger trigger off right on Thor, like to actually yep. get the stagger through, or do I want to like reroll this mutant madman trap that just didn't work out mathematically. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing tool he has in his belt. And once again, we sound, we found a second superpower that he wants to do all the time. <laughs> wow. So all now we've got, yeah, we've got five power every turn. We want to, <laughs> we want to use for sure. For sure. And <laughs> it continues with four fin. So it does. He has one more superpower that he can actively do and it's reactive. It's called four fin. It costs two power. When an enemy character ends movement within two of Heimdall, Heimdall may use the superpower, immediately make a strike action against the enemy character. This superpower could be used only once per turn. This is so cool, Chris, because now you can create a, a defensive zone around objectives. But more importantly, in theory, if it's a target's not super defensive, you can pay for this with confidence that you're probably going to get the two power back right and you're going to have your all seeing eye set up but you got a free attack outside of your actions right and you know you net an action essentially on heimdall right that you wouldn't otherwise exactly and and like you said i love i love powers like this uh you know og saber tooth i've used that one there to great effect just getting him on the back point and then when someone tries to come at him you just strike back but it also is like really good in the affiliations that give you benefits for like things on your opponent's term. So it's like, mm, yeah, this under Steve costs one, right? Nasty. This under cable, he gets to reroll dice, right? Yes. Which he wouldn't otherwise get to do, but it's a new turn, right? And exactly. He gets to reroll a die. So it does work with things like that as well. So I absolutely love it. Very useful. I think there's a lot of good tools in this kit for, especially for creative players. And, and players with a specific game plan. But of course, we've mentioned it. He is his guardian. Wouldn't you know, during the power phase, he will gain one additional power. So he's going to be able to pay for all seeing eyes and for fend immediately. It also makes it very clear that you probably don't want to pick stuff up with him, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. But you've kind of got to get these things going, turn two onward, right? And the economy might get messed up with that. Now, I also think he is a good person to sit on the back point with an extract, right? And force your opponent 100%. to come to 100%. So there is validity to that. But the problem with Heimdall, we've just gone through his whole card here, is we just talked about seven power that he wants to spend every turn, ideally. And additionally, he has no action economy or action compression at all. So moving for him is a nightmare. He does want to stay put. He does want to double tap with the strike, right? And he does want to just build up as much power as he can to do all his cool support things. So very thematically he's best at like sitting by one point and getting to do that. Right. And your opponent might be wise enough to not let him do that. Right. Because they can't afford to give him a bunch of power. So you do want to make sure he's on a point and maybe you do want to have an extract on him. So they're forced to attack him. They're forced to go deal with him, you know, because the points are just ticking up, right. He's giving you a turn. So I do think he's good in that role, but unfortunately this kind of typecasts Heimdall. He's not an all arounder, like Valkyrie or Scourge, Crisis Depending, he's more of a, oh, we're having a central fight. I need a Shuri, right? Right. That's just going to turn my whole team online. You know, 
I'm not saying he's not good on spread maps. He can absolutely do it. But the problem is with no action economy and stuff, he can't rotate, right? He just can't. So it's got to be fairly narrow maps. And that's okay. I think he's a role player, Chris, and that's where he needs to be. Yeah. And I think playing into that even more, he's only affiliated with Asgard. Yep. So he is, he is, you know, that three threat splash, that three threat splash spot is pretty competitive. Oh, yeah. Some would say extremely competitive. So sneaking him into a lot of, you know, teams built to win at the highest level other than Asgard is going to be pretty difficult. But at the same time, I could definitely see just getting good at him mm-hmm. at playing Heimdall and using him in, you know, Captain America oh, yeah. or he's, Captain America. or He's nuts with Steve. Or even A-Force, you know, being able to move She-Hulk that much from that far away could be a massive, massive boon. Uh, I think Forfend is, is an extremely interesting superpower for yeah. kind of guarding places. I, shoot, put him and OG Sabretooth on the same spot and, you know, let anybody move there, see what happens. But once again, is that a winning strategy? Probably not. Is it super fun to do for that one turn? Heck yes. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, all this is built through the lens of as guardians get two power turns. So I do not envy the developers and designers of these cards because it is so hard. That is such a powerful ability to get two power every turn, right? You can interact with more things. You do more superpowers. So Heimdall had did have to have some drawbacks and his drawbacks are his stats are very basic and his attacks are very weak and he has a hard time building power, but everything else on his kit is amazing, right? So anything that gives him more power, you know, looking at objectives like infinity formula cubes, Mm -hmm. things like that, he really does come alive and support your team the best way he can, you know, actively teleporting them during his turn. And then during their turn, giving them rerolls, right? And rerolls are huge right now. They really are important in the game and helpful. And also keep in mind, Chris, too, I mean, he's still going to have his place in Asgard because all the Asgard cards work on him. And Asgard cards are very beneficial where it's like, if you are running a lot of Asgard members, obviously you have more variability. Things like Rainbow Bridge and things like Odin's Blessing, which is Asgard's exceptional healing. You've got a bunch of Asgards out there, Asgard members out there, your options are kind of open to you as a player and your opponent doesn't quite know what you're going to do, right? And I think Heimdall's a great person to use those cards as well. So that's another reason to bring him. But like you said, you're either bringing him in Asgard as this this support piece or you're bringing him in a team that gives you power, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Whether that be through, like I said, under cable with extra attacks that are going to net you power potentially, right? Because you're getting re-rolls or like Steve or A-Force. But we'll talk about affiliations here now because he does not have any cards like i said he can use the asgard cards you know which is a big deal like i said rainbow bridge very thematically works well on him like where it's like he can teleport a long distance maybe get back onto that point and have mm-hmm. four fin ready or something like that it's a good tool to get him back in place because once again he has no movement or action compression so if he gets displaced he's having a hard hard time yeah so and obviously the same goes for odin's blessing but let's talk about affiliations real quick so obviously he's asgard and I think he's another tool in your Asgard belt to give you another three threat where it's like, okay, Valkyrie doesn't work here, but Scourge does. And so does Heimdall. Well, there's two, three threats I need, right? He helps you bring up the math when you need it. He makes 20 a lot easier to get to when you want to go Asgard mm. of 20. Yeah. I think he's a great tool on really tight objectives like Gamma or the Researcher, right? Where it's just like, we are, we're fighting in the middle. We have to go to the middle. 
We're getting re-rolls. We're getting four fins off, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely good for that. He can't really solo people one-on-one, it seems like. So that's another strike against him in the spread maps, right? Because he needs to be with his team. Yes. And I, yeah. And I, I really feel like his spender is just, while I think it might be super clutch every once in a while, yeah, I like just end of a round. it doesn't even feel like something you're going to use every game. Probably not. No, everything else is too important. Right. Well said. So let's talk about some splash teams we could take him in that I think are pretty cool. Obviously, we mentioned Steve, and this is not a trite, he's good under Steve thing, like we talk about on the show a lot. He's genuinely great under Steve because similar to like Venom, Venom's great under Steve, where Venom gets to fight back on, on your turn, right? That's amazing on Steve. Anything that gives you any character that has superpowers during your turn and your opponent's turn are always in contention for classic Steve Avengers, right? And he's perfect for that because he can four fin for one during your opponent's turn and he can guardian the Bifrost for two and all seeing eyes for one under Steve, mm, just phenomenal so stuff. He's like a really good Shuri under Steve. Right. And that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. So Steve's a good place. We've already mentioned a, a force as well. I think a force is amazing because he can massively ramp through the course of a round and he can just guarding the Bifrost someone back onto a point at the end of a round that your opponent wasn't expecting your opponent did all this work to throw him off or shove him off. Right. And he just walks up and, Oh, you're within range four. Get back on the point, you know? Absolutely. And now you're winning it, right? So he's amazing for that. He's also really good in classic Red Skull Cabal. The problem is with that is he has to deal, he has to do attacks to get more power. So we're kind of in a weird spot right. there. So I actually think if we're going to go more of a Red Skull route, it's more I think of a he's better Master Hydra. of Hydra. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he's doing what he wants to do. Standing not on only point. that, yeah, he's standing on a point. He if if the crisis is correct, he's also holding an objective only if it's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But moreover, he's moving your five threat red skull. Yes. Range two every turn. Yes. So that's saving that's that's saving Red Skull his action economy. That's helping him get two attacks off every turn plus his grunt attacks. Uh, I, I think he fits into I think any teleporting character fits into yeah. Master of Hydra's affiliation very, very, very seamlessly. Well, and the same could be applied to Malekith, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, absolutely. It's similar to the Lockjaw cat dog Malekith, where it's like, if you always have a way to get Malekith back to the midline or whatever with a teleporter, he can double move somewhere else and remove a model, right? So, absolutely the same concept applies. And, you know, one of the places I actually have played Heimdall and had a blast is under the same concept of getting more power and teleporting a big piece of the table. It's under mm-hmm. Dormammu's Dark Dimension. Oh, right? yeah. I'll bet that's. I'll bet that's very, very useful. Yeah. Yeah. Round one, Dormammu's placed within range two. Dormammu's a large base because Heimdall gets three power every turn during Dormammu. And another thing that Dormammu's team loves because the drawback is so bad. If you have too much power, you start taking damage from Dormammu, right? Heimdall can dump all that power every turn. No issue. He's never going to be Easy, over man. the top on power. So he's really good in Dormammu. I almost feel like that turn after he gets dazed is just the perfect time to alter. <laughs> because <laughs> he because there's a good chance he's gonna have somewhere between six and ten power oh yeah for sure and i just can't he's think of it. i can't think of many three threats that can dump power as effectively as heimdall he can really dump it if he wants to absolutely and it, it's all good stuff it's all stuff that affects yeah. the game state he, he also is really good with dormammu because like dormammu kind of just sits and double taps with his mm-hmm. turret right and so to make that turret consistent and powerful 
is a big deal, right? So I absolutely love that. And I feel like Forfend happens a lot in the Dormammu team because he's just getting three power a turn no matter what, mm, right? Yeah. And you're happy now to walk and strike, which you're less happy in other teams to do. So I think it's an absolutely amazing place to play him. And, you know, we're, we're noticing a theme. He's similar to Lockjaw where it's like you have to have a plan to play him. Uh, 100%. This is kind of the MO for these support characters though, right? Yeah. Just long just down the uh, down the whole list. Like if you're just bringing them, splashing them out of affiliation without a plan, without knowing exactly what they're there for, it it's not it's probably not going to go well. No. You absolutely need them to have a plan and you need them to be you absolutely need to know what they're doing turn 0 and turn mm-hmm. 1, right? Yes. They have to have a plan with how they're executing their support round one and where they're sitting for the rest of the game, essentially where they're going to move up to. Right. So it's, it's really important. And, you know, I talk about this stuff a lot where it's like any team that's going to give him more power or even maybe rerolls. Right. So like I said, cable's pretty good. Even midnight suns is okay because he can get a mortal Hulk up the board. He can bump himself if he needs to right on top of the teleport. Right. This, like, yeah. honestly, he could with four power, he could, place range two and then he could place range one right and that's a big deal that could just win games sometimes you could just get to a side point your opponent didn't think you could get to and he could win the game yeah. because you know midnight suns is all a lot about mobility that's really their strength and it's just one more layer of mobility on top of a team that's already pretty mobile so he's fun i think he's one of these cool characters i think the sculpt is amazing at mcp uh the fact they put the bifrost around him i don't think they had to but they so didn't. good it's, and and I love we it. have just we have seen so many awesome paint jobs around the those extra oh, yeah. bifrost pieces on that painting gallery with no name shout oh, out we had we had players. so many good ones man so many good ones it, it was makes phenomenal. me yeah it makes me not want to paint mine because I'm scared to be <laughs> terrible oh <laughs> uh, it's and you don't have to do the bifrost some people take no. it off I think it's a mistake but I I just think it's a cool piece like that AMG gave you why wouldn't you use it you know but it is more painting certainly is more pain if you just want to have him with his sword straight in the ground and that's it but yeah heimdall he's a fun piece he's an amazing piece i i love that he has a home in asgard and he's played in asgard and you know i think he's one of those models that at any given moment a new affiliation could come out and he could he could jump in you know and it could i work. agree i think he is just waiting for the right leadership maybe a second to you know maybe a new Asgardian leadership is going to really yes. vault him to the forefront too, because we will get that. It will happen. One day it will happen. Yeah. So, and we have new Asgard releases hopefully coming this oh, year. So I'd gosh, love to see how those yes. characters interact with Heimdall mm-hmm. and if they make him better or worse. Right. And what that looks like. So yeah, this is really fun. And I want to play more Heimdall on the table and just Asgard, man, they have a bunch of cool pieces right now, a bunch of very good models, interesting toolkits, yeah, I think Asgard's in a really, really good spot. They really are. And they're certainly going to get better when they get more models because all they need is a couple more models truly really to have. I'm fine with that. Fully fleshed out roster. And whew, I cannot wait for those models. I mean, they're. Yeah, dude. They're about to get four more models. That's a Ugh. huge deal. Wild. So, yeah, absolutely. Furious Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Furious Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Furious Finest. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch at Furious Finest. And you can follow us on X at Furious Finest Cast. Email us at FuriousFinest at gmail.com. And leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really means a lot to us. Most notably, if you have Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you can just give us five stars there. It means it's a huge. lot. It's, it's huge. It's massive. It truly is. for the community, right, is what it is. So It's truly huge. 
you're helping the community grow by doing that. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our show's music. And like Jesse said, ratings, reviews, they are absolutely massive for any podcast's survival. And so we thank you guys so much for doing that. It really means a lot to us. It really does. Of course, you can find me and Chris several spaces online. You can find me, Jesse, on X, Instagram, Discord, and Longshanks, all at the same place. That's at Jesse Aiken, J-E-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Star Wars Shatterpoint show, Hello There, a Star Wars Shatterpoint podcast. And it can be found everywhere online at Hello There Cast. Yeah, Shatterpoint is awesome right now. And I'm excited to be overwhelmed, Chris, in the late winter and early spring when we get all the new Shatterpoint and all the new MCP all at once. That's going to be tough. Uh, It's going to be tough for both of us, tougher for you, because if there's not any light side sabers being released, specifically, you know, public era, then I'm not, I'm probably not buying it. Well, you will get Plo, but. Oh, there, there are some, there, there are others I'm going to buy. But Luke comes out then when that's Rebel. See, I'll be, I'll be skipping that stuff, but I probably will be getting like Mando and Grogu and whatever they announce some of those boxes when they, when they do come around. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Discord. I'm Strong Style, Chris Finest, and all the appropriate MCP Discords. You can also listen to me make jokes about the NBA on Orange Futures, uh, an NBA podcast with Chris and Ben. Uh, basketball as nasty as you want to be. Yeah, it's the NBA season is really, really interesting. And Ben and I are really having a lot of fun with it. So please come join us uh, with some really just out there jokes and takes and fun stuff. But you know, we try to have some actual good analysis in there too. Awesome. Definitely give Chris's show a listen. Well, we'll join you guys in Asgard again very soon. Until next time, thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Finn Buck says you're wrong. We'll